Okay, Happy New Year, everybody. Say, so I'm going to take a um, sort of an unscientific poll right now. And I, I can kind of see you through the lights. By the way, hi, everybody uh, on the live stream today. Tim, this was live streamed. So everything that you said is recorded for posterity out there somewhere, uh, unfortunately. So um, I had some folks say, hey, you know, I know you're preaching today. I'm going to be on the live stream. I said, yeah, I know that. Sure. I wish you could have been here at live stream, folks, because this is a pretty energetic crowd today. So I want to find out why. This is the unscientific poll. How many of you, and you have to listen, how many of you went to bed before the ball dropped, before midnight? Raise your hands and keep them raised. I'm going to see. Look around. Oh, not many. Uh, how many of you, because you did that, keep your hands up, feel energetic and refreshed because of that? Oh, well, uh, okay, that's not so good. All right. Now, how many of you stayed up past midnight? Raise your hands. Look at this. Now, to keep them raised, how many of you feel refreshed and energetic? There are some of you who didn't raise your hand either time, which means evidently that you haven't gone to sleep yet. So the next 25 minutes or so will be your opportunity. So we have learned for next year that there is a correlation between uh, how long you stay up and how energetic you feel the next day. And according to this crowd, if you stay up past midnight, you feel more energetic than the folks who went to bed earlier. Uh, last service, it was kind of a draw. You know, uh, I, I, I don't know, maybe they weren't quite awake either. I don't know. But anyway, it's good to have you here because, you know, that's establishing good habit. For, uh, very first Sunday of the new year, here we are together, and I'm encouraged to see you all here. Now, let me start out by saying, if you've ever visited my office, which if you have, I'm sorry for that because... Uh, if you know, I'm a reader and I read a lot of things and I have a lot of books going at once like juggling and my, my office looks a lot like uh, a local hardware store, Kleindorfers. They know where everything is, but nobody else seems to be able to. And it's a great place to go. I'm, I, you know, uh, I'm not uh, being paid by them for anything, but my office kind of looks like because I'm always reading books. Well, I've got three books to recommend to you today that you might want to read in January or at the start of the new year, show them to us all. Uh, these three books are slightly different, but kind of the same theme. Uh, if by Mark Batterson's a great book, it's got 31 chapters, hmm, a chapter a day, uh, starting over people's second chance, the idea that everybody can get a second chance. Now, the reason I'm showing these to you is I, I fully admit that uh, some of the material I'm using today comes from this stuff because none of us have an original idea. We need some thought starters. These started my thoughts today, and I would recommend to you, if you're the kind of person who likes to start out the new year kind of on an inspirational track, trying to line yourself up with God's purposes for you, you might select one of these and prayerfully read, slowly and prayerfully read through it through the first part of the year. might be good for you. So, uh, after that, you know, there, I, I read these books at the first of the year, a lot of times time management books and life management books. And one of the, the ones that I've read over and over, uh, an old book, but many of you know about it, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, I'm still not highly effective, though I keep reading it and hoping that it will take. But one of the things Stephen Covey says in there, one of the, the seven habits is begin with the end in mind. The idea is know what you want, know what you're striving for, and then work towards that. Now, in, in that book, and in the classes and the, the facilitation that goes along with it, if you've ever taken that, there's an exercise that's often called the eulogy exercise. It's a little morbid to think of, but the idea is, imagine yourself at your own funeral. And three people have been selected to speak about you, 
a family member, a coworker, and someone in your circle of influence in the community. Three people that know you well, and they've been asked to speak about you. The question that, that Covey asks is, what would you want them to say? That's the end in mind. And so we have that end in mind as we live our lives. Now, I'd like to expand on that a little bit. What if that funeral was next week and those three people got up? What would they say? Not what would you like for them to say, but what would they say right now about you? If you're like me, I've got a ways to go before my ideal is achieved. And I think that's why we're all here. We have a longing in us to know that there are, there are things that we need to accomplish. There are things that we have left undone. There are things that we need to do. There's this longing to be all that God wants us to be. You know, Paul, the first missionary, said it this way as he looked back on his life. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I have remained faithful. Wouldn't that be a great thing for people to say as they talked about you? At the end of your life, this was a person that remained faithful to God. But I'm not sure I have that kind of confidence like Paul did. You know, uh, I, I think I have some work to do. You know, Mark Twain once said uh, something like this. He said, I'm not a very good writer, but I'm a really good editor. All of us today have the opportunity to edit the story of our life. We have the opportunity to write the rest of the story and the end of the story. And that's where we are today. So here's my message. I don't want to bury my lead because some of you haven't been to sleep yet. So I want to tell you what I want to say and then we'll kind of deal with it a little deeper. It's never too late to start over. No matter what you did or didn't do or what's been done to you, no matter how hopeless you feel, no matter young or old you are, it's never too late to start over. So repeat after me. It's never too late to start over. Okay, that's it. But we'll go on. God's word has some encouraging things to say to us this morning about starting over. Uh, one of the passages that often gives people hope is found in Lamentations. In fact, one of the songs that we often sing is based on this passage. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I call this to mind, Jeremiah says. The mercies of God are new every morning. This word new means different as well as new. Every morning, God's mercy is available to you in just the way you need it today just for you, just for everyone in the room. We can start over every day. We don't have to wait till the New Year's that rings in. So every day of our life, we have the hope that that day can start over and we can do better and be better. So how could Paul say, I have remained faithful throughout my life? I think a clue to that comes from what he writes to Philippians in chapter three. Let's read it. I do not mean that I have already as God wants me to be, I have not yet reached that goal. But I continue trying to, to reach it and to make it mine. Christ wants me to do that which is, that is the reason which he made me his. Brothers and sisters, I know I have not yet reached that goal. But there's one thing, one thing I always do. Forgetting the past, 
straining towards what is ahead, I keep trying to reach the goal and get the prize for which God called me through Christ to the life above or heavenward. There's some things about this passage we could spend a lot of time in to talk about Paul's strategy for starting over and, and renewing God's mercies every day in his life. One of the things I notice here is uh, he's a work in progress. You know, if anybody should make it, if anybody should be doing well, it ought to be the Apostle Paul, the great theologian, the great missionary and preacher of the early church. And yet he says, I am not there yet. I have not finished this race. We are all works in progress. And we cannot be what God wants us to be on our own. In cooperation with the Holy Spirit, God begins to, to, to mold us in this journey. And you notice he says, I strain to do this. It's not easy to make the changes in my life that I need to line up with God's purposes for me. But it is an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Ongoing. God's mercies are new every day. It's a struggle. It's a strain. And here's what he says. The one thing, which is actually a couple things, but the one idea here he says, I always do. What is it? I forget the past and I look forward. I look ahead. We cannot go forward until we can deal with all that stuff that's behind us. The regrets that we've left in the past. God can change those regrets into possibilities so that we can move on to the life he has for us. But it's not easy. It takes work. In the book that I just referred to starting over, the Ferguson boys introduce three buckets of regret. Let's look at what they are. Regrets of action. We feel sorry for what we did. Regrets of inaction, we feel sorry for what we missed out on. And then regrets of reaction, we feel sorry for what's happened to us. Circumstances of life or somebody did something to us. Those things we regret. And oftentimes, when we look at those regrets, they become the roadblock to being who God wants us to be. It's almost like we wear this t-shirt. You don't understand what happened to me. And it keeps us from being who God wants us to be. It stalls us in living the kind of life that we're meant to live. And you may be thinking, well, okay, you've convinced me. Yeah, I, I understand that God's word says to me that we can start over. Yes, I want to start over. I want to put my past, I want to put my regrets behind me. I want to be the kind of person God wants me to be. I don't want 2017 to be like 2016. But if that's as far as you go, it's not going to be enough. While statistics can say a lot of things and can be less reliable, there's a study about uh, resolutions for the new year. And one study shows that as few as 8% of people accomplish any of their resolutions. So it takes more than just intending to do better, intending to put my regrets and my past behind me. I don't know if you uh, got this in the mail. I'm not advertising the why either, but I got this from the why yesterday. And I'm excited about this. It says, new year, new beginning, new you. And look at this young lady here. I mean, she is with it, man. She's ready to go. Isn't that what we all want? We want a new year, a new beginning, a new you. You know what happens this time of year, right? Everybody signs up in January. And in February, nobody shows up. <laughs> See, that just illustrates our point. We can always have good intentions, but if we don't follow through on those intentions, nothing's going to change. 
So I'd like to spend the remainder of our time together talking about some ideas, examining some ideas that we might put into practice that would help put our regrets behind us, those things that Paul said, I put them in the past, I strain forward to be who God wants me to be, some ideas on what we might do how we might go about making that happen for us as we renew ourselves daily to being who God wants us to be. The first one, renew or restart your relationship with God. Now that should seem fairly simple, but we're in church and I, I think we just need to say it. Sometimes our regrets are because we have strayed away from what we know is right. We have pulled away from God. He, he hasn't gone any place, but for whatever reason in our lives, we've walked away from him or we've turned aside from him. And and the first step in coming back and, and releasing those regrets and, and dealing with the past is to recognize our relationship with him. We also need to confess what it is that's our roadblock. It could be some, a sin. It could be just a mistake that we've made. But we need to get it out there and name what it is that keeps us from a relationship with God. You know, in First John, it says, if we confess our sins to him... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. He is faithful. If we confess those specifically, he is faithful to say, they're gone. That's a good start. And then we need to repent. Repent means to say, I'm going to go a different direction, 180 degrees different. I've not followed God's plan for my life, but now I intend to do so. And by doing so, I'm making time and space in my life for a relationship with God. I want to renew and restore that relationship. It could be through spiritual habits. It should be through spiritual habits. Bible study, prayer, community visiting with other people uh, who share the same values as you, sharing life with folks, serving people, praying. All those kinds of things help strengthen your relationship with God, renewing and repairing it. Now, I know there may be some of you here this morning who are not so sure about the whole God thing, but you've come because of a friend or a family member, and you're not sure that there's how do I do this? What, how do I go about restoring or rebuilding or starting a relationship with God? Let me suggest this, just a very something simple. Every morning pray, God, if you are real, show yourself to me today. Some of us who are Christians probably need to pray that prayer. God, I think you're out there. And if you are, show yourself to me today. And a lot of times that'll come through friends. It'll come through, maybe if you read God's word, you'll, something will come to you. There's a number of ways. Rarely does an angel sit on your shoulder and talk to you. But there will be ways that God may start to work in your life if you look for the ways. So rebuild, restore, or begin your relationship with God. That's a good way to forget the past. That's the best way. Secondly, repair your relationship with others. Now, all of us have probably been in some sort of family celebrations, quote unquote, over the past few days, and sometimes our families are the places that needs to start. There are hurts that go back a ways with people in our family or our friends or our neighbors. We can't truly forget the past and move ahead until we deal with those hurts in our lives that, that kind of have shaped us. And so what we need to do is repair those relationships. In Romans, Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Notice what he says here. If it is possible. What that means is you have a responsibility to steward a relationship, to care for a relationship, but you can't do it all. You understand what that means? You can do 50%. You can do 51%. But if you do 99% and the other person only does 1%, there's not anything there. But you can try to restore a relationship 
with others that perhaps is not so good or broken, but you can't do it all. All you can do is what you can do, and you leave the rest of that to God as you pray. How can this relationship be restored? I think you could take the first step, maybe a card, a note, call, something. Uh, texting and emails aren't quite as good for that sort of thing because the intent doesn't come. But if there's a relationship that you need to mend, try to mend it. Take that step, and then allow God to do whatever he will with that. You can't do it all. And then make amends if necessary. You know, that's a 12-step thing, making amends to people you may have hurt or people who may have hurt you. Uh, try to make it right. Try to make it right. So repair that relationship. That's a good way to forget the past, to put it behind you. And then, number three, forgive yourself and others. Sometimes it's hard to forgive ourselves for things. We just keep hitting ourselves. Why do we do that? Remember, if you confess your sin to him, he is faithful to forgive you. If God is faithful to forgive you, you need to forgive yourself and then others. Lewis Smead says this, you set a prisoner free when you forgive, but you discover the real prisoner was you. Your lack of forgiveness keeps you chained up. doesn't really affect that other person. Don't excuse yourself for what you may have done. But forgive yourself because God, if you confess that sin, has already forgiven you. In Colossians, Paul says, bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You are to be, as a Christ-like person, a forgiving person. It's been in the news lately, quite a bit because of the trial, the trial of Dylan Root. Uh, the man who uh, murdered all those folks at the Bible study, which is just incomprehensible. I have a couple quotes from some folks who are uh, family members of the folks who were killed. One of the daughters said, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I will never get to talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. A sister of one of the victims said this, for me, I'm a work in progress, and I acknowledge that I'm very angry. But one thing that she always enjoined in our family is, she taught us that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hating, so we have to forgive. I pray God on your soul. We are the family that love built. There's no room for unforgiveness Maybe the way past your past is to forgive. And then fourthly, release your regrets. You do what you can do and then let God take over and redeem those regrets. You know, he is in the recycling business. He takes things that are broken and messed up and he uses them for his purposes. Consider some examples in the scriptures. Jacob was a thief and a liar, yet God used him to be the father of a great nation. Moses was a murderer, yet God used him to be the liberator of his people. David was an adulterer and a, and a uh, conspirator to murder. And God used him to be the greatest king of his nation and a man after his own heart. Esther was a harem girl, and yet God used her to rescue and save her people from extinction. Peter denied Jesus three times, yet... God used Peter to establish his church. Paul persecuted the church. 
and yet he was the greatest missionary and theologian of all time. God is in the business of recycling lives. We do what we do, and then God takes that and does the rest. Your redemption could look a number of different ways. It might be that you just find your way back to God. That's the first step. It could be that you renew your spiritual growth, that you get more energized about that. It could be that you change your priorities to more match what his priorities are. It could be that you serve and bless others through generosity, but you can find your way back when you put the past behind and strain ahead. So as we look ahead, one thing I want you to remember, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is not against you. He is for you. He would not ask you to do something that you could not do. His part is to take what you give him and remold it and recycle it. So obey what you need to obey, what you know to obey. Take actions that will prepare you for God's work in your life. Maybe you need to restore it with him, with other people, and perhaps you need to forgive. But here's what starting over needs. Starting over needs plenty of time. It, doesn't, it isn't instant. It takes time. Starting over needs the right attitude. You must be humble before him and others. You know the song... I thought about having Tim do it, but I thought, oh, that'd just be, you know, he'd just go crazy. Uh, Frank Sinatra's song, I did it my way. Regrets, I have a few. A few? Frank Sinatra just had a few regrets? That's his first problem. <laughs> Humility is the important thing. And by the way, I did it my way. As Dr. Phil would say, how's that working out for you? I think there's a longing in every one of us that I think is a spiritual longing to be more and to do more and have a purpose. I think that's built in by God. And there's only a spiritual solution that can really solve that. We can do what we can do, but my way will never work. It has to be his way. You know, you have to be around the right people and the right places. If you continue to do the things you've always done, you'll get the same result. And so maybe you need to change some of your friends. Maybe you just need to change some of the places that you happen to find yourself in to make you regret what you've done. This is a good start, coming here this morning to start your year. You know, the, there were some uh, students in New York, university students, who were asked to do a, a study. You know how they're always doing studies and doing things on the street and in businesses and so forth. They went on the street corner and they set up a chalkboard, and as people walked by, they just asked them to write on the board anonymously their biggest regret in life. Surprisingly, lots of people participated and filled the board with their regrets. I think partly because it was anonymous. No one knew who they were, and they could walk away, and there it was. And so the students looked at them, and here's some samples of some of the things that people said that they regretted in their life. Burning bridges. Never speaking up. Not being a good husband. Should have spent more time with my family. Staying in my comfort zone. Not saying I love you. Never applying to med school. Not making the most of every day. Not being a better friend. And on and on they went. One of the things that they noticed in the study was... All these, most of these stories had one thing in common. The regrets nearly always involved the idea of never or not. They were about chances not taken, words not spoken, dreams not pursued. 
John Greenleaf Whittier said, for all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. Paul said, I have remained faithful. He looked back on his life with no regrets. There's a very obscure passage in Jeremiah, a, a prophecy about the Pharaoh of Egypt. And it, it, well, let me read it. There they will exclaim, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is only a loud noise. He has missed his opportunity. I don't want that to be said of you or to me as they stand and talk about me someday, that he missed his opportunity. At the end of your life, as your eulogy is read, your greatest regret will most likely be the things you uh, didn't do but wish you had. It's also the things that you didn't act upon, the dreams that you didn't fulfill. Your regrets now might be a part of how God is wanting to work in your life to make things different. You know, as I was raised in the church, I was kind of raised on this holiness by subtraction idea. If I don't do anything wrong, I'm going to be a good person. And that's right in some ways. It's partly right. But the problem with that is you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. Don't miss your opportunity to start over. So on, on October 12th, maybe some of you, uh, 2020, maybe some of you heard of this woman, uh, an, an unusual obituary appeared in the, the Idaho Statesman. It reminds us that we are all writing the ending to our story. And this woman uh, in her late 30s wrote her own obituary. It is challenging to me, and I hope it challenges you. Let's listen. My name is Sonia Todd, and I died of cancer at the age of 38. I decided to write my own obituary because they are usually written in a couple of different ways that I just don't care for. Either family or friends gather together and list every minor accomplishment from cradle to grave in a timeline format, or they try to create one poetic last stanza about someone's life that is so glowing, one would think that the deceased had been the living embodiment of a deity. I don't like the timeline format because, let's face it, I never really accomplish anything of note. Other than giving birth to my two wonderful, lovable, witty, and amazing sons, James and Jason, marrying my gracious, understanding, and precious husband, Brian, and accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I've done very little. None of that requires obit space that I have to shell out money for. I also didn't want a bunch of my friends sitting around writing a glowing report of me that we all know would be filled with fishtails, half-truths, impossible scenarios, and outright honest-to-goodness lies. I just don't like to put people in that kind of situation. The truth? or my version of it, is this. I just tried to do the best I could. Sometimes I succeeded, most of the time I failed, but I tried. For all of my crazy comments, jokes, and complaints, I really did love people. The only thing that separates me from anyone else is the type of sin each of us participated in. I didn't always do the right thing or say the right thing, and when you come to the end of your life, those are the things you really regret, the small, simple things that hurt other people. My life was not perfect, and I encountered many, many bumps in the road. It would totally scrap the years of my life from age 16 to 20. Okay, maybe 14 to 22. I think that would eradicate most of my fashion disasters and hair missteps from the 80s. But mostly, I enjoyed life. Some parts of it were harder than others, but I learned something from every bad situation, and I couldn't do any more than that. Besides, there are some benefits to dying youngish. For example, 
I still owe on my student loans and the jokes on them because I'm not paying them. Plus, I'm no longer afraid of serial killers, telemarketers, or the IRS. I don't have to worry about wrinkles or the ozone layer and or hide from the news during election season. Some folks told me that writing my own obituary was morbid, but I think it's great because I get a chance to say thank you to all the people who helped me along the way. Those that loved me, assisted me, cared for me, laughed with me, and taught me things so that I could have a wonderful, happy life. I was blessed beyond measure by knowing all of you. That is what made my life worthwhile. If you think of me and would like to do something in honor of my memory, do this. Volunteer at a school, church, or library. Write a letter to someone and tell them how they have made a positive impact on your life. If you smoke, quit. If you drink and drive, stop. Turn off the electronics and take a kid out for ice cream and talk to them about their hopes and dreams. Forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. Stop at all lemonade stands run by kids and brag about their product. Make someone smile today if it is in your power to do so. It's never too late to start over. We are writing the ending of our own story. No matter what you did, what you didn't do, or what was done to you, no matter how old or young you are, no matter how hopeless or helpless you feel, God can redeem your regrets. So forget the past, press on towards the future, and let's all start over.